All around the world, engineers and architects, constructors and owner-operators are using Bentley software solutions to design, build and operate better and more resilient infrastructure that sustains our economy and our environment. Together, we are advancing infrastructure. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Engineers Collective podcast from New Civil Engineer. I'm your host, NCE Assistant News Editor Rob Hakemian. This month, we're going to be talking about this year's Transforming Infrastructure Performance Summits in Singapore and London, organised by Bentley Systems and supported by Turner and Townsend in association with the UK's Infrastructure and Projects Authority. So there's been events in both Singapore and London this year. The event in Singapore took place in October and some of our guests today were involved in the panels there. Well, the London event took place last week and I was fortunate enough to attend. So, Transforming Infrastructure Performance, or TIP as it's known, was initiated by a paper released by the Infrastructure and Projects Authority in 2017. This was followed up with a TIP roadmap to 2030 and 2021, in which the IPA set out its expectation that all new infrastructure should be delivered to be high quality, sustainable and resilient by the start of the next decade. The TIP Live events also started in 2021 to convene government, contractors and consultants to discuss the progress on this roadmap to 2030 and what actions need to be taken to speed it along. Those who take part in TIP expound on the need for a step change in productivity and efficiency in planning, design, manufacture, construction and infrastructure. So, discussing that with me today on the podcast, we have three people who had a hand in this year's TIP Live events. Here in the UK, we have Bentley Systems Senior International Director of Infrastructure Policy Advancement, Mark Coates. Mark is a former quantity surveyor with over 30 years experience in global project delivery and has recently been working in digital transformation. In his role at Bentley, he helps to inform and guide government, policymakers, business leaders and decision makers globally on the benefits of digital transformation. Then, over in Singapore, we have Turner and Townsend Singapore Director, Infrastructure and Design Management Lead, Glenda Ho. With over 13 years of experience in both public and private sectors, Glenda has a proven track record of delivering a spectrum of medium to mega scale complex developmental projects in Singapore and Indonesia. And also over in Singapore, we have Liam Bray, who is Director of Portfolio Management at Turner and Townsend Asia. Liam has over 17 years of experience in portfolio, program and project management and has successfully launched more than 40 projects across Asia. In his current role, Liam leads global teams in delivering real estate, retail and infrastructure transformation projects that optimize space, reduce costs and enhance quality. So we've got quite an esteemed panel, so welcome to all three of you. So I gave a very brief introduction to TIP live events before, but Mark... uh, you're kind of involved in the organization. So what can you tell us about the TIP Live events this year in both Singapore and London? And 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 one of the main things that we talked about in the London event that I attended was the IPA's desire for business as usual by 2025. So what can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, we've been involved since 21 with TIP. I'm, I'm very proud and privileged to do so. And it's a fantastic concept. It's a fantastic leadership aspect uh, about how to improve our infrastructure. Uh, it's as simple as that. And project delivery as a whole. Right? And, yeah, we did the, the original one uh, in November of uh, 2021. It was uh, very warmly received. And then obviously it's grown this year with near enough 200 uh, plus uh, attendees at the at London event. But the Singapore one was a, a real 
eye-opener because we obviously took that overseas for the first time. And you know, we had over 100, uh, 115, 120 delegates attending, all talking about very, very similar problems to the ones we're facing in the UK. So it does actually show that it is not a, a UK problem. It is an international problem that the IPA has at its heart of, of driving good leadership and a good direction to, to upcoming projects. And I suppose the, the pinnacle of that since taking it to Singapore, I've had four or five requests now internationally that would I be willing to take tip to uh, other overseas countries to, to actually explore expedite their leadership and expedite their delivery of projects and as you said yes it was very much clear on last monday's event uh, about the leadership and where we're going as, as, as the uk it is business as usual you know as far as the the, um, the leadership under, under nick smallwood and his team is to achieve the, the goals that were set and, and deliver those uh, where possible and uh, and to keep driving that leadership <laughs> message nice and glenda and and Liam, did you attended the Singapore event this year? What did you think? Did you find it encouraging? Do you think there's a lot of change in the offering? Um, I'll go first. I think, um, personally, I enjoyed, um, the Singapore, um, side of event. I think it's, um, one of its first for me. I think I'm greatly, um, heartened in terms of seeing the turnout, um, with good, um, you know, a good group of um, really key representatives from our public sector, especially uh, major clients, and as well as, you know, representatives from industry. I think it's a meaningful session for me in terms of we all come together, not just the panelists on the, um, on the stage, giving up, you know, their thoughts to how to better transform the industry in terms of how we deliver, um, infrastructure as a whole. But also we are getting good reactions from the floor, um, questions and, and, and good, conversations going on just you know be from the stage or from you know from audiences so i'm 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 greatly encouraged by the turnout and also the responses we're getting yeah how yeah, about Liam? Yeah, I'll just add to that. Look, I think it was, you know, fantastic session to, you know, bring a tip to Singapore, um, you know, different contexts, different countries, different approach to doing things. And I think, you know, from prior conversations with Mark, what we found is that, you know, there's, there, there was a global representation there from, from clients, you know, for ranging from banks to infrastructure, um, bodies, you know, um, uh, across the whole to consultancies. Um, so uh, to contractors there. So, you know, kind of collaboration at that that most top level um, is, you know, sort of fundamentally what we need to be doing in the industry and to see that, you know, converge at uh, TIP in Singapore and, and uh, it happening in London is, you know, really, really encouraging um, to see that kind of cross-industry, across uh, national uh, collaboration. I think, Liam, you, you just hit the nail on the head there with the, the, the numbers. We had 12, 13 people there from the financial industry, you know, and I'm, I'm here at COP28 now and apologies for the background noise. But, you know, that finance insurance aspect, you know, about resilience, about you know, coping with the climate change and those aspects, they were both clear at TIP and they're both very clear at COP28. So one of the, the five things that the IPA expects to see by 2025 as business as usual is use of artificial intelligence and other digital tools. But AI is the one that is capturing a lot of people's attention. Um, I think Liam, you delved a bit into how AI can be leveraged to support supply chains and sustainability. So what can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah, I think it's, um, you know, it's absolutely the right aspiration to have, you know, get, get to BAU by 2025, you know, for, for, um, for the use of AI in, in infrastructure for the UK. And, you know, if we look at, 
look at you know how individuals are using it right now it's it's almost BAU you know we're, we're kind of augmenting what we're doing you know it's become the new kind of search engine you know uh, for us rather than going to Google or Yahoo or Ask Jeeves if you're if you're old enough to remember what that was um, you know uh, AI has now become the kind of the the, the shortcut you know and so um starting at the kind of bottom and building up it's now kind of building that 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 kind of momentum and i think you know as we kind of go further up it's that regulation of ai you know uh, the data standards the data management um that's going to be the meaty bit that we need to work through but i think the aspiration of bringing it in at bau is uh, is absolutely critical and you know marked over in dubai at the moment at cop 28 you know sustainability ultimately is what we're trying to achieve here you know it's the end goal from uh, digital digitalization. It's the, it's the out, outcome, you know. Um, whether it's driving efficiency in cost, you know, whether it's driving efficiency in material consumption, reducing waste, you know, sustainability is the end outcome, which, which we should all be pulling for. And doing that in our sector requires a huge amount of processing of data. You know, it requires us to remove. A lot of the kind of suboptimal decisions and options that we just don't need to be even be facing into, um, and and there's a lot of tools that are out there at the moment. So if you look at you know solar gain analysis, embodied carbon analysis, there's a lot of tools that are now percolating up through that can do the job, and taking you know sort of taking a step back and being able to weave together those tools into a kind of unitary whole is really what we're trying to get to. But the fundamental bit behind, in order to do that, in order to kind of achieve digitalization to enable us to, or basically as we're saying, digitize to decarbonize, is you've really got to focus on how we go from analog to digital in the first place. And I think we're still there with a lot of client organizations to go from, right, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a square on a drawing, you know, and we need to create that as an actually living object, and that's that's the big challenge for all of us is to create that digital uh, artifact to breathe life into it, to make it real, to get to make it tangible, um, and that's that's fundamentally the first step. So, um, so digitization drive digitalization to decarbonize, absolutely fundamental, and then and then lastly, you know, AI in the supply chain. If you look at retailers if you look at most you know the really highly highly effective um industries um controlling supply and demand is at the core of what they're trying to do you know trying to maximize the return on investment trying to drive as much profit out of that revenue as possible so you know kind of kind of coming back to tip you know we're at that global level collaborating are we looking at what the material demand is looking like what is what what's the supply out there how do we smooth that that curve to drive down uh, or to avoid kind of overheating costs um how can we uh find alternative materials um to kind of offset for having to constantly dig up you know um damaging or voc containing uh, materials um and how can we use ai to ultimately uh, select that and there's again a lot of tools simple models that are enabling us to look at the economics behind construction. So um, just to sort of cap off there, digitization, to drive digitalization, to drive decarbonization, fundamentally um, the, the route forward. But I think, you know, let's start, we're, we're using it at a, a safe level at the moment, at an individual level, but getting through that next stage. Mark, see you. Yeah, I was going to say, you obviously, and Glenn, the world, weren't at the, the London event, but 
you know, it didn't even have to be the, the AI ML aspect. You look at Nick had a fantastic presentation, which Robert, I think you saw around the 4D, 5D simulation that's being used. Uh, and Rob uh, and Liam Glenn, if you think back to the, um, that sort of keynote from Malcolm Taylor from Crossrail International and from uh, Russell Vine from Cross River Rail and how they'd learned from that leadership back in 2018 and onwards and their development of the 4D, 5D that, that's moved in. So, yeah, the, the fear factor that everybody has to jump on, you know, the, 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 the leaving bus, the topical bus, the, the IO bus, there is that, you know, those, those easy steps to do to become more afraid with, with that leadership as well. Completely agree, Mark. Absolutely. Nice. So one of the other things that people worry about with AI is it is it taking people's jobs, but that, that seems, seems quite remote as we're still looking to adapt AI to our needs. So Glenda, how can you tell us, what can you tell us about how people can adopt more digital tools in their businesses in infrastructure delivery and why? Yeah, I think there's two parts to this um, um, question. I think just reacting to the first part of the statement, I think certainly I, I recognize, I think, um, I actually spoke to a few um, consultants, designers over the weekend, and, and suddenly all of us recognize that the use of AI um, in our part of the world is, is certainly gaining momentum. And in fact, um, it's not as remote as we deem it to be. Um, not not speaking for all, but I think that mo- most designers are actually not as, um, um, you know, they're not as uh, resistant to it. And they're pretty aware in terms of really um, tapping the most fullest potential of um, AI, um, they need to be in the space of really wanting to reinvent the focus to the value of the work that they do and then stop seeing AI as the, the next thing that will replace all of them and the work that they do. But of course, if one chooses to to stay stagnant, um, some of these repetitive laborious job can eventually, definitely will be um, taken over. Because that the spirit of adopting AI digital tools, I think for me, is, is really how we can really innovate and, and really put aside some of these more repetitive, um, um, low value work and instead to innovate and then become putting more value in the kind of um, output that we produce. And I think really looking at the upsides and the downsides of AI itself, um, just sharing, sharing a little bit more. Um, in terms of upsides, I think really if we were to look into the, the space of designers or uh, design consultants, engineers, for example, um, can immediately quite be able to recognize that the upside of using AI is that a lot of these traditionally um, labor-intensive work in terms of rendering, um, generating of images, just to toss out ideas with clients, um, these are um, a lot less time-intensive. Uh, and also, um, in terms of um, using AI to generate images, is also a lot more can be a lot more um, cost effective than the typical rendering um, software. So the upside is that we save time, we we potentially save costs. But of course, the downside is always um, there's all uh, there can be issues uh, regarding um, IPs, copyrights, and I think these are still key issues that the industry as a whole is trying to address. And if we were to come back to the question, the last part of the question on how we can encourage more take up. Um, personally, for me, I think 
um, addressing some of these key concerns around the use of AIs, digital tools, for example, I think is, is key. I think we still need to, as industry between the, uh, within the whole supply chain, find that sweet spot in terms of, um, meaningful sharing of data and safeguarding of, you know, copyrights and IP. And how can we better define the data space in terms of how we extract information and how to be share it? And how can we really make all this work for all? And, you know, just, really playing out the whole um, client leadership that we always wanted to advocate. Um, sharing of success stories and case studies would be helpful, um, particularly for, for Turn and Telson, where um, we want to be in the front line in terms of cultivating uh, collaborative cultures, my project delivery, and, and we always want to be um, the ones championing uh, digital-first approach so we, we encourage more conversations and, and people need to understand uh, what they're all getting into. Um, we want to emphasize on the people-centric yet digital-first um, um, approach. And with a good understanding of the uh, strategy, the process involved, and what tools is suitable for all, I think that would help removing that barrier for adoption in terms of, you know, uh, getting into the whole digital space. Yeah. So... With TIP having been held in both the UK and Singapore this year, I thought it might be interesting to compare and contrast the two nations' adoption of technologies in their infrastructure delivery. So, any of you, what, what can you tell me about the way Singapore is delivering infrastructure compared to the UK? Is it much different? Who wants to go first? <laughs> <laughs> look, maybe maybe if I can jump in, because look, I, 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 I've um, I, I've observed you know kind of been in both both countries, and I'd have to say, you know where the UK has identified the, the the value proposition of BIM is especially anyway to you know just going to BIM anyway um is that it's for hi, you know in highly complex environments where um there is a huge amount of risk there is a massive amount of payback from from that and so you can see how you know the UK has pinned its colors to the mast by you know um uh, adopting BIM you know over 10 years ago I think it was 2007 Mark will probably be able to uh, correct me on that one but um you know from that sort of highly complex perspective, it's 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 then percolated down through through the chain, and and that's that's created this uh, this this kind of expectation that digital is quite a hard thing to do. Whereas if you can compare that to Singapore, where there's this mindset which is high repeatability of assets, get the value out of the process. You know the the, the um, building construction authorities integrated um, digital design approach to say um, building of um, uh, uh, HDB uh, blocks of flats, basically kind of um, social housing for for Singapore. You know they adopt DF DFMA through the use of BIM, um, and that's because it's high volume repeatable assets that they're building and there's the huge economies of scale as a result of that. They know exactly what they're building, exactly what size it's going to be. It's going to go right there and and it's going to take me exactly how long. So there's this kind of high volume, low variety kind of adoption from what, from what we've seen that's, get deliver, that's, that's been, you know, um, that's delivered significant benefit. Whereas we kind of then map it back to the UK. No, no one project's ever the same in the UK. You know, we've got a huge amount of built ground, you know, you're building on top of each other in really tight spaces. So I think there's two kind of really different propositions that that's forming. Um, but, you know, what what is great to see though is, you know, if we just look at Singapore, for example, we've seen some huge talent coming through uh, the university system. The, the critical bit is how do we how do we leverage the best of BIM for the entire industry and how do we apply it um, and get 
get the kind of low hanging fruit of the of of the of of the uh, the tools that are available because uh, you know it can serve multiple purposes it doesn't have to be big bang it can be fleet of foot there can be solutions um and i think that's what that's what we're seeing really well from that kind of crossover and again coming back to the tip conversation these are some of the conversations that were coming out as we're seeing different ways of applying it um but then new 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 thoughts and new approaches but i think you know Liam, you just said there you know, without comparing the UK and Singapore, but that's the heart of tip is that knowledge transfer. You know, the one story that you know, I know we've all been talking about is that the cross river rail, cross rail leadership story and that knowledge transfer, which is, which is a story at the heart. And I, you know, obviously, you know, when I write about Singapore, cause it's such a special place and. You know, a bit of a, a Star Wars fan. You know, you link to the early Star Wars to what Singapore is today. Um, but that was shown with the digital twin we had on show at the event. Um, you know, that reality, well, that sort of desire that was maybe 30 years ago is now reality of today. So there is a, a big change, as you say, Liam, and I know, Glenda, you said the same. Those tools that you're using now are readily available, easy to to conform, meeting clients' requirements, and now we're using those tools to achieve the sustainable goals that we need to 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 match with with global warming. Yeah, I think um just really adding on to to what has been discussed both by Liam and, and Mark, I think um no doubt I have never worked in UK, but I think through conversations and also sharing by colleagues and collaterals, I think to me in terms of I, I see some similarity in terms of how we um adopt um, digitalization as a whole. Um, both nations to me, definitely the starting point is the same. I think we, we are both kind of strong in, in governance. That's why I personally feel. I think we, we sell the plan and then we have that supporting, um, policy to deliver them. And I think the interestingly, what's been discussed, um, just right before this is that, um, it, it, what makes the difference is how these governance and the policies are being interpreted and, and received across different cultures, right? Singapore, um, fast paced, agile, repetitive, right? And then UK, the, the slow and steady wins the race and, and, you know, go into different types of major projects. So I think that different perspective and play out different strength. And also depending on the type of client environment, um, the same set of, of governance and policy can really take shape in, in two different, um, places. Yeah. Interesting. Does that affect how Singapore is approaching the challenge of net zero? Is it much different to how the UK is doing it? Do you have any insight on that? Um, I, I think again, um, in terms of looking at, um, net zero, I think I can just speak for, I think, um, Singapore's context as I'm more familiar probably. Um, I think we, we have our own goals. We want to achieve, um, net zero, um, emissions by 2050. And I think that as a whole nation, um, this is uh, pretty much, um, top down. The, the, the government is, is putting the foot down and saying that they are taking a lead um, towards the target and I think that we're all aligned and I think that um, as a as a country how we're working towards is because really I think the key difference between UK and, and, and Singapore is that we are obviously a dot on the map on the globe and and so um, hugely disadvantaged in terms of um, the, the limited resources we already have and I think it, it, it really plays up the importance of really tapping onto technological um, advances and then we can we only have innovation that technology depend on in terms of really finding that 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 uh you know that the alternative in terms of you know be it start going into um hydrogen uh, low carbon technology hydrogen or you know looking into renewable energy imports so i think um 
we, we are working hard in this space in terms of achieving our net zero, um, emission goals. So I'm not sure, um, you know, whether, uh, the floor has any more to add on. Yeah. I think personally it's, it's, it's a big, uh, ambition, but I think that slowly and surely we will, we will get there. <laughs> yeah. Look, I think I'd, I'd certainly add Glenda, um, What's, what's great about the uh, sort of um, land scarcity of Singapore is it's kind of driven this um, mindset to to squeeze as much value out of the land as possible and seeing every bit of opportunity, you know, whether, you know, it's um, <clears throat> how to design master plan, you know, um, the Singapore landscape, especially the central business district um, in, in downtown in, in Singapore and how... Um, you know, if, if you do a bit of research, you can find out how the sort of the water cooling is provided from the Gardens by the Bay um, site, and and how that then pumps through to about twenty different buildings. So, and and this was all mapped um, using the digital twin that we were very lucky to see that Bentley facilitated for us at, at, at the tip in uh, in October. And you know, just just seeing that, just seeing how you know every bit of, or even in in the water, if you look at the, the sort of the, the space of using, you know, um, floating solar PV. Um, to, to leverage the, you know, the, 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 uh, the solar gain there. You know, there's, there's always some opportunity to be had. Um, but the, the master part, master planning, looking at the overarching kind of, um, uh, what the strengths are of each of the regions, you know, and again, convert, comparing that to the UK, what are the opportunities with, um, with, uh, with wind power? Again, you know, what, what, where's the area of advantage and how can we exploit that? And I think there's a real mindset in, in Singapore that's, uh, that's holding, holding, holding the city, um, uh, as one of the big leaders in the sustainability front. Makes me want to go back to Singapore. Last time I was there was 2007. I'm sure it's changed a lot since then. For something I got from Tip in London is, is it seems to me that contractors and consultants are kind of really ready to start implementing more digital tools, but it's maybe the clients that are the less the more hesitant party so what what do you think we can do to encourage client leadership in the digital transformation of infrastructure delivery all right um i think just just jumping in here i may back to differ slightly because i think from my personal um experience i think it's it's kind of like a whole project team kind of approach uh, depending on which project is that sometimes it's a client sometimes across the supply chain we have Contractors who are not ready. We have consultants who are not ready. We have subcontract subconsultants who are not ready. Um, so sometimes this is also dependent on whether um, you know everyone can be can have that that decision making in terms of whether they are ready for um the level of investment needed. Sometimes they may not be as skilled enough um to to take up a digital approach. So I think I think the challenges can come from across the supply chain. Um, and I think if we to to dive into um you know, client leadership, um, in terms of encouraging adoption, I will really emphasize on, um, communications and end communications, uh, really driving through, um, people centric approach, um, if we want to be digital first. And, and, and as people and, and as all of us within the business are really supporting project leadership and setup, we, we, we always stress on the importance of having, um, round table conversation right from the start. And I think it's important that we, we definitely understand what's in the market. We size up what has worked, what doesn't through case studies and what, what kind of solutions, uh, will fit the level of investment, uh, that's comfortable by, by everyone, client included, and also the rest of respective, um, supply chain and also understanding the level of competency of the project team. And of course, the process is important. So, um, a good, 
a set of digital workflow that gets everyone on the same page and, and communicates uh, the expectations and requirements is important. Uh, how everyone understand their role in terms of collaborating through the digital platform. And then I think lastly, um, upscaling is important. I think it is a progressive thing. Um, anything in the technology front and, and digital front is always reinventing itself. So it's important to keep up upscale because the more we are able to command and, 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 and work the tools in our hands, the, the, the better um, we can get uh, in terms of collaborating digitally and the client um, will also have greater confidence in terms of the team that is looking at the industry that he's, he's trying to get his project delivered uh, with better skilled professionals around the table. I think Robert, I can just add to that as well. I think you know, the clients are becoming more receptive to digital and I think that pressure is coming from the financial industry. Yeah, so I did a, a, a MSP Global Day while I've been here. And that level of leadership is now seen as the public sector is now leading the digital change. It's actually the private sector. And it's very much around, I would call it a three horse race, whether it be the ESG aspect, the risk and liability aspect. But you know, the, the, obviously the investment side of it is running returning good investments. So digital has been used at the level levels to, to make sure that the, the project is invested well. Um, I mean, I started working with the banks two or three years ago, uh, and banks and insurers now are taking a large portion of the time educating them on what's available, what information can be collected. So when you have that, and the paper I did for Cambridge uh, two years ago, where we interviewed 35 banks, you know, that has you know, leaps and bounds come on with the, the leadership of the, the people I'm speaking to now. You know, they know exactly what a digital twin is. They know the outcome of using a digital twin. And we're going to see that sort of becoming more a larger part of the contracts uh, or based around the finance, uh, the packages that are coming uh, to our, our new projects that they are, they're going to see this request for digital at all levels um, because to them it is an investment and that digital aspect protects the investment. And that also brings us on to the next topic of, of leadership and skills. You know, that, that, you know, there's a whole range of skills now required by people like Turn and Townsend, um, you know, to, to manage those expectations from both the clients and the financiers and, and legal teams that support the project. Thanks, Mark. I, I, I was just going to say, look, I think that the other, the other thing to kind of take a step back with it is, um, you need to almost like acknowledge, you know, kind of the, the root cause of the problem here, which is, um, we look at the construction industry, it's so heavily segmented, you know, it's to the point where it's reductive. It's almost like the, the sum of the parts do not exceed the whole. And, and that's because each respective discipline is competing as hard as it can to deliver its, deliver its output, um, to maintain its margin. And those margins are, are so, you know, very, very tight in the industry. So there's, not not that often that opportunity to say right well how can we collectively work together to drive efficiency for the whole the project as a whole you know the team working basis the uh the the end-to-end -end process and then systematizing that to be more efficient so i think you know kind come into the the client leadership piece i suppose ultimately you know what are the client's goals you know what are they trying to achieve is it greater value, faster projects, increased sustainability, deeper insight, better decision making, more rigorous governance? 
And then how can you kind of reverse engineer that through technology or deliver that through the, the tech solutions that are, that are provided? That needs to be done with the project team or with the uh, program level, more, 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 uh, more importantly, through at the programmatic level. So rather than just looking at project by project, if you've got a big, big pipeline of work, um, how can you leverage the most out of all of those projects um, to get the end outcome? And I think is then, you know, once you've got a kind of tactical picture about what does that, that big transformation plan look like? So you say, right, we're, we're going to try this first, but then we've got step, you know, steps two, three, four to follow. And I think building that, building that kind of end to end view, having the, having the courage to work with, with, with some, maybe some of your competitors, you know, uh, and, and the other supply chain partners to say, we're wanting to keep, pin our colors to a mast to do this better because at the moment we're all focused on, Excel spreadsheets and, and the likes, and it's, it's kind of lowest common denominator activity. So how can, how can we kind of level, level that, uh, and agree to collaborate and take the, take the kind of digital, take that step up in digital maturity? Mm, interesting problem. Um, but you made, you made me more encouraged about it than, than I was with my question. But uh, anyway, another issue that we're always hearing about and one of the well, business as usual targets for tip is, is around upskilling and maintaining skills. Um, so, and then we're always hearing about the skills issue in the UK. So Liam, sorry to pick on you, but you're obviously a Brit now working in Singapore. So I was wondering, what can you tell us about the appeal of working in Singapore compared to the UK and, and what can we do to make the UK seem more appealing? Oh, well, uh, thanks for picking <laughs> on me first. <laughs> Dangerous <Imagine>. question. <laughs> <laughs> look, I, I'd have to say, look, first and foremost, I've been very fortunate in my career to uh, work for a lot of great clients um, and companies and uh, across a range of sectors um, and project types. And that's given me a very solid, uh, level of experience. So coming out to, to Asia, um, that's, that's given me a very, really strong, uh, advantage in my career, I have to say. So, you know, look to, to anyone who's looking to get into the UK construction industry, I say, well, you know, you, 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 you build skills that are in international demand. Um, if you look at, I mean, recent report from Oxford Economics was saying that, you know, construction demand is going to increase from 10 trillion, uh, in 2022 to, uh, you know, sort of full, uh, 14 trillion by, uh, 2037. So in sort of space of 15 years, it's going to increase 40%. Now, you know, um, the likelihood is that that is going to be, um, you know, international. Growth. So, you know, there is a huge opportunity for people who want to, you know, grow, a, get a great career, see the world and do some incredible stuff to get into the UK construction industry because you're going to get experience that you don't get anywhere else. Um, you know, you're going to be the leaders, the pioneers, um, on the international stage. And, uh, you know, so that, if that doesn't hold an appeal, then I don't know, you know, what, what does, you know, um, to, to any, you know, sort of, uh, young person coming through in their, their early stage of university. So I'd say, you know, think about, you know, what, what you want, you know, um, and, and if construct, if, if it is to see the world, construction is a great way to do that. Um, I would, uh, I would say just the other thing, just on the skills front is that look, the world is changing. You know, we've talked a lot about technology. Um, we are seeing, you know, um, roles blurring together, you know, and, and it's best person for the job, you know. So what what are the skills that you can get 
and I don't just mean in technical skills, but I mean in behavioral skills as well, that sets you apart. You know, I think um, historically construction has been very much about, I can do my job very, very well, but how are you leading a team? How are you building a team? How, how are you thinking about your impact on that project to get to the outcome? And I think that behavioral skills, the management, the leadership um, aspects are becoming more and more prevalent. So I, I'd just say, you know, think about how can you get as broad of an experience as possible as well. Hi, Mark. Yeah, I was just going to say, you're absolutely right, Liam, because the, I mean, that, I would say, you know, the industry, that nomadism of the industry is the, you look at what's going on now in, you know, Australia, that the, the, they've got obviously Cross River Rail, just Brisbane alone with Cross River Rail and then the Olympics. And then you look here to, to the Middle East and the, um, uh, the, the upcoming World Cup. That ability to travel, especially on major projects, you know, there is always a, an expat consortium that, that moves around. It is absolutely key. And that's where it's so important at that grassroots level that we get people in, uh, to get that experience, to get that knowledge, to give them those capabilities. And as I said, yeah, the digital twin, you know, you, you look at three years ago where we started using the, the headsets to actually explain, you know, the digital concepts. And now you look at what we're doing with, you know, the London office. We took some leadership from from Cross River Rail and from Russell and his comments on how he interacted. We've now got an experience centre in London. And that is, you know, linked to live projects, the digital twin in Singapore I was talking about earlier. But the one thing I think we need to all get better about, and now as an industry, especially with the amount of data we have, is our communication. Yeah, we 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 have a a, a set of skills from engineering, mathematical sciences that are really good, and we have now a a limit. What seems a limitless level of data, we have to all get better being able to communicate the outcomes because that's the bit that drives the the delivery of the project. And I think that's where we 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 aren't looking for maybe some of those old traditional roles, those, as you said, are, are blurred and, and merged. We now to actually need to enhance them to that 2022, 2023, 2024, 2030 level of, 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 of knowledge and, and deliverables on data. Just to finish off, we, we've talked about some of the IPA's business as usual for 2025, which include around, around AI and around upskilling, but they also want to see more modern methods of construction to be business as usual by 2025. They want a comprehensive pipeline of work to be published, which I suppose is more on the government side in the UK. And they want environmental and sustainability uh, to be embedded into every project. So I guess this is more for the Turner and Townsend people. How do we, how do we make sure that these, these business as usual targets are met by 2025 or by 2030 at the absolute latest? What's, what steps need to be taken? Um, I think from the Turner and Townsend people, I think, um, some of these points I already mentioned as part of this, um, entire uh, conversation. Um, we recommend our recommendation would really be what's important is upskilling. As a whole industry across the supply chain, even the client, um, the, the knowledge, the awareness of what digital tools can do for you, um, consultants, contractors, getting skilled enough to be in position to drive the tools that we have in the digital space um, is important and uh, attracting of good talent, retaining them so that we can all build towards um, a digitally trans- um, transformational way of um, you know, delivering our projects. And of course, um, I, I personally think that more thought leadership efforts needs to be 
um, made. I think um, a tip is a very good example of such thought leadership efforts. Uh, I think that we have good success stories. We have case studies, but we just have to really um, drive that and, and make sure that, you know, all our target audiences hears them and, and, and knows about them. And this is one way that we can really set that, that um, the level of confidence in clients to anyone in industry who's still uncertain about taking up the digital approach to really um, hear out for themselves, you know, what, what has been successfully done, right, with, with the use of the digital approach. And then I think um, the third point would be um, working with partners. I think BM um, will agree the right partners from the industry were aligned and active in, in pushing for high quality digital-led delivery. And I, I don't think Turner Townsend is the only ones. There are a lot of other partners in, in the industry that I think clients can look for in terms of wanting to go for the whole digital um, approach. And then, yeah, do you have anything to jump yeah. in? Yeah, no, look, I think you're, you're absolutely spot on with the point about partners. And, you know, if you see it from a client's perspective, you know, if you're running framework tenders for three to five years, then we've probably got two to three cycles of framework tenders to go until we get to 2030. So just seeing it from, you know, a simple stage one, two, three, if, we, if we're talking the three cycles, how are we going to step up the level? You know, how is that going to go up and, uh, in the context of your process? How are you going to systemize your process through technology, AI, digital, digitization, digitalization? Yeah, uh, How... Are you going to structure your data and feed that through your tech to make the decisions? And lastly, and most importantly, what are the skills, what are the capabilities, and how are you going to bring people up so they know how to use the tools that you know are there to do the job? So having a having a kind of three stage, two to three stage plan, you know, we're going to digitize, we're going to digitalize, you know, we're going to decarbonize, you know, could that be the roadmap? But I think watch out, look ready, be ready uh, for that to happen sooner. You know, because there's, there, there's going to be, a, I think there's going to be a significant pace coming. And I think being ready to almost say, right, we're going to have to bring our plans forward ahead. Um, but I think the most biggest, or the biggest opportunity there is leveraging the, the your, your contractual relationships. What's going into your framework pack? What are you asking for? Be explicit about the the standards that you're expecting, how you're expecting your teams to work together, the processes that they're going to go through. Um, and, uh, and ultimately what's the next step? Great. So I think that's a good place to end the conversation. What has been actually quite a positive conversation when I think about decarbonization, especially by 2030, I, I think it's kind of overwhelming, but to hear from you three, uh, who are involved in the nitty gritty day to day makes me realize that we are progressing well with all this stuff and there is plenty of reason to be positive. So, uh, for anyone who wants to see any of the tip live events, they are all available on the tip website. Is that right, Mark? Yeah, they're on the, um, infrastructure policy advancement, uh, website that we have. And I'll give you the link for it. But, uh, uh last year is up there. We hope to have Singapore up in the next couple of weeks and we'll have the London event up early in 2024. Um, there's blogs, there's leadership papers, there's um, a real knowledge hub of, of, of learning and moving forward. So uh, we'll make that very available to everybody. So great. So hopefully some listeners have, have had their interest piqued by this conversation so they can carry on learning over there. Uh, I want to say thank you to Liam Bray, to Glenda Ho, to Mark Coates. Thank you all for coming on. And I've been Rob Hakimian. Uh, join us next time for the next episode of the Engineers Collective from New Civil Engineer.
All around the world, engineers and architects, constructors and owner-operators are using Bentley software solutions to design, build and operate better and more resilient infrastructure that sustains our economy and our environment. Together, we are advancing infrastructure.